0: Book the third, part eight of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the third, Part eight. His serenity continued during two or three following days, when, continuing at the castle, he got pleasant glimpses of Paula now and then. Her strong desire that his love for her should be kept secret perplexed him, but his affection was generous, and he acquiesced in that desire. Meanwhile, news of the forthcoming dramatic performance radiated in every direction. And in the next number of the county paper it was announced, to some sense comparative satisfaction, that the cast was definitely settled, Mr Mild having agreed to be the king and Miss Power the French princess. Captain de Stancy, with becoming modesty for one who is the leading spirit, figured quite low down in the secondary character of Sir Nathaniel. Somerset remembered that, by a happy chance, the costume he designed for Sir Nathaniel was not at all picturesque. Moreover, Sir Nathaniel scarcely came near the princess through the whole play. Every day after this there was coming and going to and from the castle of railway vans laden with canvas columns, pasteboard trees, limp house-fronts, wooden lawns and lath balustrades. There were also frequent arrivals of young ladies from neighbouring country houses, and warriors from the X and Y batteries of artillery, distinguishable by their regulation shaving. But it was upon Captain de Stancy and Mrs Camberton that the weight of preparation fell. Somerset, through being much occupied in the drawing-office, was seldom present during the consultations and rehearsals, until one day, tea being served in the drawing-room at the usual hour, he dropped in with the rest to receive a cup from Paula's table. The chatter was tremendous, and Somerset was at once consulted about some necessary carpentry which was to be specially made at Markton. After that, he was looked on as one of the band, which resulted in a large addition to the number of his acquaintance in this part of England. But his own feeling was that of being an outsider still. This vagary had been originated, the play chosen, the parts allotted, all in his absence, and calling him in at the last moment might, if flirtation were possible in Paula, "'be but a sop to pacify him. "'What would he have given to impersonate her lover in the piece? "'But neither Paula nor anyone else had asked him. "'The eventful evening came. "'Somerset had been engaged during the day "'with the different people by whom the works were to be carried out, "'and in the evening went into his rooms at the Lord Contogarm's Markton, where he dined. "'He did not return to the castle till the hour fixed for the performance.' and having been received by Mrs. Goodman, entered the large apartment, now transfigured into a theatre like any other spectator. Rumours of the projected representation had spread far and wide. Six times the number of tickets issued might have been readily sold. Friends and acquaintances of the actors came from curiosity to see how they would acquit themselves, while other classes of people came because they were eager to see well known notabilities in unwanted situations. When ladies, hitherto only beheld in frigid, impenetrable positions behind their coachmen in Markton High Street, were about to reveal their hidden traits, home attitudes, intimate smiles, nods and perhaps kisses to the public eye, it was a throwing open of fascinating social secrets not to be missed for money. The performance opened with no further delay than was occasioned by the customary refusal of the curtain at these times to rise more than two feet six inches. But this hitch was remedied, and the play began. It was with no enviable emotion that Somerset, who was watching intently, saw, not Mr. Mild, but Captain De Stancy, enter as the King of Navarre. Somerset, as a friend of the family, had had a seat reserved for him next to that of Mrs. Goodman, and turning to her, he said with some excitement, I understood that Mr. Mild had agreed to take that part. Yes, she said in a whisper, so he had but he broke down. Luckily, Captain De Stancy was familiar with the part through having coached the others so persistently, and he undertook it offhand. Being about the same figure as Lieutenant Mild, the same dress fits him, with a little alteration by the tailor. It did fit him, indeed, and of the male costumes it was that on which Somerset had bestowed most pains when designing them. It shrewdly burst upon his mind that there might have been collusion between Mild and De Stancy, The former agreed to take the captain's place and act as blind till the last moment. A greater question was, could Paula have been aware of this, and would she perform as the Princess of France now De Stancy was to be her lover? Does Miss Power know of this change? he inquired. She did not till quite a short time ago. He controlled his impatience till the beginning of the second act. The princess entered. It was Paula but whether the slight embarrassment with which she pronounced her opening words "'Good Lord Boyette, my beauty, though but mean, need not the painted flourish of your praise?' was due to the newness of her situation, or to her knowledge that the Stancy had usurped mild part of her lover, he could not guess. The Stancy appeared, and Somerset felt grim as he listened to the gallant captain's salutation of the princess and her response. Stancy. "'Fair Princess,' Welcome to the court of Navarre. Paula. Fair, I give you back again. And welcome, I have not yet. Somerset listened to this, and to all that which followed of the same sort, with the reflection that, after all, the princess never, throughout the peace, compromised her dignity by showing her love for the king, and that the latter never addressed her in words in which passion got the better of courtesy. Moreover, as Paula had herself observed, they did not marry at the end of the piece as in shakespeare's other comedies somewhat calm in this assurance he waited on while the other couples respectively indulged in their love-making and banter including mrs camperton as the sprightly rosaline but he was doomed to be surprised out of his humour when the end of the act came on in abridging the play for the convenience of representation the favours or gifts from the gentleman to the ladies were personally represented and now Somerset saw De Stancy advance with the necklace fetched by Paula from London and clasp it on her neck. This seemed to throw a less pleasant light on her hasty journey. To fetch a valuable ornament to lend it to a poorer friend was estimable. But to fetch it that the friend's brother should have something magnificent to use as a lover's offering to herself in public, that wore a different complexion and if the article were recognised by the spectators as the same that Charlotte had worn at the ball, the presentation by De Stancy of what must seem to be an heirloom of his house would be read as symbolising a union of the families. De Stancy's mode of presenting the necklace, though unauthorised by Shakespeare, had the full approval of the company, and set them in good humour to receive Major Camperton as Armado the Braggart. Nothing calculated to stimulate jealousy occurred again till the fifth act, and then there arose full cause for it. The scene was the outside of the princess's pavilion. De Stancy, as the King of Navarre, stood with his group of attendants awaiting the princess, who presently entered from her door. The two began to converse as the play appointed. De Stancy turning to her with this reply, "'Remute me not for that which you provoke,' The virtue of your eye must break my oath. So far all was well, and Paula opened her lips for the set rejoinder. But before she had spoken, Stancy continued, If I profane with my unworthy hand, Taking her hand, This holy shrine, the gentle fine is this, My lips, two blushing pilgrims, ready stand To smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss. Somerset stared. Surely in this comedy the king never addressed the princess in such warm words. And yet they were Shakespeare's, for they were quite familiar to him. A dim suspicion crossed his mind. Mrs. Goodman had brought a copy of Shakespeare with her, which she kept in her lap and never looked at. Borrowing it, Somerset turned to Romeo and Juliet, and there he saw the words which Dostancy had introduced as gag to intensify the mild love-making of the other play. Meanwhile, de Stancy continued. Oh, then, dear saint, let lips do what hands do. they pray, grant thou, lest faith turn to despair. Then move not while my prayer's effect I take. Thus from my lips, by yours, my sin is purged. Could it be that de Stancy was going to do what came next in the stage directions? Kiss her? Before there was time for conjecture on that point, The sound of a very sweet and long-drawn osculation spread through the room, followed by loud applause from the people in the cheap seats. The withdrew from bending over Paula, and she was very red in the face. Nothing seemed clearer than that he had actually done the deed. The ploys continuing, Somerset turned his head. Five hundred faces had regarded the act, without a consciousness that it was an interpolation and four hundred and fifty mouths in those faces were smiling. About one half of them were tender smiles. These came from the women. The other half were at best humorous and mainly satirical. These came from the men. It was a profanation without parallel, and his face blazed like a coal. The play was now nearly at an end, and Somerset sat on, feeling what he could not express. More than ever was he assured that there had been collusion between the two artillery officers to bring about this end. That he should have been the unhappy man to design those picturesque dresses in which his rival so audaciously played the lover to his, Somerset's, mistress, was an added point to the satire. He could hardly go so far as to assume that Paula was a consenting party to this startling interlude. But her otherwise unaccountable wish that his own love should be clandestinely shown... Lent immense force to a doubt of her sincerity. The ghastly thought that she had merely been keeping him on like a pet spaniel to amuse her leisure moments till she should have found appropriate opportunity for an open engagement with someone else, trusting to his sense of chivalry to keep secret that little episode, filled him with a grim heat. End of book the third, part eight.